verse 1, Matthew 27 and verse 1. Amen. How many are ready to hear the word of the Lord? Amen. I want you to preach with me today. Is that all right? Then we'll both leave war out and we'll get a good day's afternoon Sabbath. Matthew 27, 1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, everybody say then Judas. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning as we enter the word. Would you join me right now and lift your voice? Lord, Thank you for your blessings, Lord, and your goodness to us. Lord, don't let us tighten up now. Lord, don't let keep us, Lord, in a place of liberty right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray you touch every saint of God, every guest, every person that's here today. Let us hear your word in the name of Jesus and let it give us faith, O oh Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. In the name of the Lord. Judas, the Bible tells us, as they, uh, the chief priests and elders here in Matthew 27, took counsel against Jesus to kill him. And the Bible says they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate. When that happened, Judas, who had betrayed him, saw, the Bible says, that he was condemned. Now, there's some... Uh, discussion about what Judas thought might happen when he sold Jesus out. But one thing's for sure, that when Jesus was bound and taken into custody, Judas had second thoughts about what he had done. And the Bible says that he went before the chief priests and elders and he repented. Uh, He repented before those priests. Let me say, those priests did not have the power to forgive Judas. The Bible says he went before the chief priests and elders and repented. And he brought restitution. He brought again the 30 pieces of silver unto them. And he said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. You see, even Judas knew the preciousness of the blood of Jesus. Even Judas knew that Jesus was more than just a man. Even Judas knew that there was power in the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says that he brought this 30 pieces of silver and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. I want to tell you, lost people know that the blood of Jesus is special. The Pharisees have an interesting response. They say to Judas, who cares about that? What is that to us? These are the religious folks. These are the folks that attend church every day, that do all the function of religious people. But notice they say, what does innocent blood have to do with us? Judas said, I've betrayed the innocent blood. Pharisees said, what difference does that make to us? I'm preaching today innocent blood. What is that to us? Well, let me just jump to the point today. I don't know about the rest of you, but that blood is still precious to me today. What is that to us? What is that to us? Why are we here today? Why is the altar invitation open today? Why are we singing today? Why are we preaching today? 
Why are we in attendance? It's nothing other than that the blood is precious to us. We need his blood in our lives. It is the only innocent, powerful blood that exists. It's the blood of Jesus. So, in this sermon for the next few minutes, let me just say what the blood is to me. And I don't, I I hope you would give me the privilege to speak as your pastor as to what the blood is to this church. What is it to us? Well, first of all, it is unique blood. It's not like any other blood. It's not the same as the blood that flows through my veins or your veins. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, the Bible tells us, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer to feed the church of God. Everybody say church of God. Which he, everybody say God. Now, purchased with his own blood. Now, this is very important. It sounds like to me that Luke knew who Jesus was and is. For Luke says that this is the church of God that was purchased with his own blood. This is the blood of the sovereign God of the universe. Jesus is more than just the second person of a trinity. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. No, you didn't understand me. I said Jesus is the creator wrapped in flesh. That's who he is. Because Luke said this is the church of God and God purchased it with his own blood. It is precious blood. Oh, It is special blood. It is living blood. It is powerful blood. And it reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood. Oh, give the Lord praise today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Not only is it unique in that there's no blood like it. I want you to know you can go give blood and you probably should. And you can go receive blood and if you're in a physical condition, you've had an accident, thank God for people that's that's donated blood. Somebody say amen. But there's no blood like the blood of Jesus Christ. Luke said God purchased the church with his own blood. Now, not only that, it is sacrificial blood. This blood was ordained from the very foundation of the world before anything was created, before anything existed. It was the plan of God that this blood would be shed at Calvary. Calvary was not an accident. Calvary was on purpose. Calvary was not the plan of religious zealots desiring to silence the voice of a prophet or of their enemy. No, Calvary was the plan of God. That means that God took from Jesus' account and put his blood on my account. Listen to me. The Bible tells us that that blood makes us righteous. I'm thankful for that. When God sees you, the Bible tells us it is as if you have never sinned. I don't know if the magnitude of that has settled in on you today. Let me say again, when God sees you today because of that sacrificial blood, it is is as if you have never sinned. How would you act if you could see yourself the way God sees you today? Perfect, righteous, redeemed by the sacrificial blood of Jesus. Oh, I'm going to praise him today. I'm going to worship him today. I'm going to reach for him today. Because his blood says I'm whole. His blood says I'm saved. His blood says I'm redeemed. You are righteous in the sight of God through the blood 
of Jesus Christ. Think of that. God sees you through the blood. What, what God said of Jesus, it's enough. He says about you today. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Colossians 1, 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, talking about Jesus, should all the fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, everybody say reconciled, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. <laughs> Boy, that just turns you on today that the Lord sees you holy. No, it's not because of what you have on. It's not because the length or shortness of your hair. It's not where your sleeves fall on your arms. You are unblameable and holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, because that blood is said I'm holy, I want to be holy. Because his blood declares me unblameable, I want to stay unblameable. Because he brought me out of the dirt, I don't want to go jump back in the mud hole. His blood says I'm free. His blood says I'm healed. His blood says I'm in victory. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, let's thank him for his blood right now. Hallelujah. Oh, let's thank him for his blood right now. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Verse 20, I like Colossians 1:20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. There are a lot of things that this world can give a man. There are a lot of things sin can put on your plate. You say, well, people say, you know, sin is miserable. Oh, no, sinners have fun. Just go ask them. They'll tell you how much fun they're having this weekend. The world can give certain things to a man, but there's one thing the world cannot give you, and that is peace. <laughs> Verse 20 says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, that's the one thing that I cannot find in this world, and it's peace. And the Bible says the world's clamoring for it, and the more they desire to get it, the worse it's gonna get. Destruction comes when they clamor for peace. But I wanna tell you, the blood of Jesus gives me peace today. That's the one thing I can't find on my job. It's the one thing you cannot find in your retirement account. It's the one thing you cannot get from the stock market. It's the one thing that cannot be given to you by who sits in the Oval Office. Peace is not resident in this world. The only place you have peace is by the blood of Jesus. That doesn't mean they're not problems. Everybody all right? That doesn't mean they're not disappointments and tragedies. Living for God doesn't mean you don't have any problems. It just means you don't have any problems by yourself. No, you're not. No, oh boy. Well, that went over much better in the office. <laughs> Living for God doesn't mean you don't have any, any tragedy. It just means you don't suffer tragedy by yourself. <laughs> Living for Jesus doesn't mean you'll never get disappointed. It just means you won't get disappointed by yourself. There is a friend that sticketh closer. Oh yeah, I've been disappointed, but I've never been forsaken. Oh yeah, I've had tragedy, but I've never been forsaken by the blood. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Man, somebody shout praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. Through the cross we have peace. What is that to us? It is unique blood. It is sacrificial blood. By it, I have peace. And not only that, it is present blood. Now, there are a lot of things I could say about the blood, but this is one of those I got stuck on. So pardon me. I didn't do an exhaustive research of everything the blood is to us. 
because we'd be here quite a while. But let me pause here about the present tense of his blood. His blood is here today. What is it to us? It's present. It's, oh. it's here right now. Now this causes a little concern because when Jesus' blood was spilled, did it just fall to the ground, absorb into the Judean dust, or does it exist today? Is it still doing its work right now? Well, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Think about that now. He was not dead yet, nor was he resurrected. So salvation wasn't finished until we got a resurrection. But Jesus said it was finished before he died, hanging on the cross. So leads people to say, religious people to say, well, the blood was just spilled right there and that's it. Oh, no. Does the blood make any difference to me in 2018 right here in this little old farming town in Salem, Illinois? What is that to us? Did the blood only go as far as the cross or is the blood only a historical relic? Was the cross the conclusion or is it still flowing today? It's the same blood that was shed at Calvary. Is it still in effect today? Let me say, I know the blood is working today. Clap your hands while I get a drink of water. I want to tell you why I know the blood is working today. Because paradise is empty. So, now wait just a minute. Paradise is empty. I want you to think about that. Because in Luke chapter 16, Jesus told us that a rich man died and Lazarus died. And Lazarus went to be held in Abraham's bosom. He went to paradise. Jesus spoke of paradise on the cross. See, there's, there's people that think the plan of salvation is on the cross with Jesus preaching it. But you need to study a little bit because Jesus said a very important word on the cross. He told the thief, you'll be with me today in Abraham's bosom. Why? Because all the Old Testament righteous dead went to one place. <clears throat> they went to paradise. It was a place of waiting. Now they could communicate with the wicked. The Bible tells us the rich man spoke to Abraham and he said, I'm tormented. Lazarus was in a place of rest. The rich man was in a place of torment. And the tormented man could see Abraham and he said, send somebody to come give me help. Abraham said, no, there's, we cannot come to you and you can't come to us. This is theological stuff. Hope you don't get bogged down with it. But it's important to whether the blood is active today. And Abraham said, nobody can go over there and you can't come over here. The Old Testament righteous, when they died, they went to that place. Why? Because Satan had the keys of death, hell, and the grave. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. The righteous and the wicked were separated. There was rest for one and torment for the other. But, oh, praise God, paradise is empty. So what do you mean, Pastor? I want to tell you what I mean. Can you imagine Abraham sitting there who had heard the voice of the Lord say, In thy seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. You're going to have a... Man, there's so much here I can't even... I don't even want to get into it because I know I'll be here another hour. But when Abraham took that boy Isaac to the altar, the Hebrews tells us he already knew God had the power to raise him up. Abraham knew that God was not just talking about one child. He was talking about stars and sand. Yeah. 
Abraham knew there was coming a redeemer. He knew that. He was a man of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us these all died in faith. They all knew the redeemer's coming. Can you imagine Abraham sitting in that place called paradise and somebody happens to show up at the door and Abraham, I don't know about you, but I'd be asking everybody that showed up. I'd go to the door and say, are you the one? Anybody hearing what I'm saying? There's Job in there and he says, oh, I know that my redeemer liveth. There's David in there that knows that he's coming. Isaiah's in there and he says, I know he's coming. Unto us a child is born and oh, and they're waiting. Abraham sitting there, somebody comes to the door and Abraham says, are you the one? And Simeon says, no, I'm not the one, but I was standing in the temple the other day. I was in the, I wish you'd get me a little juice here. I know we're about to squeal, but we might as well squeal, we're Pentecostal. Simeon said I was in the temple the other day and they brought in a little baby and the Holy Ghost said there he is there he is Abraham he's coming Abraham he's coming come on somebody shout paradise is empty Boy, I don't know what goes on in your house, but when somebody shows up and says the president's coming. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to the basement to do the laundry. I'm going to the door. I want to see the entourage. I want to check out the SUVs. I want to see the secret service. I'm not going to miss any part of this moment. Can you imagine in paradise? They're bound up. Yes, they're in a place of rest, but they cannot be delivered. Can you imagine them pacing the floor? I don't know if there's windows there or a door, but they could see out. And they're all gathered around the window, looking out the door. And there comes, oh, maybe that's him. Simeon's already, oh, I know he's born. I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's born. And that old fella comes to the door. Somebody says, hey, are you the one we're looking for? And that old boy said, no, but I'll tell you this. I was born blind, and I sat by the temple every day. And a man walked by and touched my eyes and now I can see. I saw him. He's coming. Don't give up. Woo! Oh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine them gathered around? Are you, are you the one? And all of a sudden, a young man shows up and they say, hey, are you the one? And that man said, no, I'm not the one. But the last thing I remember, I was hanging on a cross. <laughs> he must be right behind me because I heard him say, this day, you're going with me. Oh, I want to tell you right now, the blood is real right now. Right now. Oh, it can heal you now. It can save you now. It can. Somebody ought to praise the Lord right now. Come on, somebody ought to praise the Lord right now. Man, I can't even imagine what happens when Jesus comes into that place of rest. (laughs) That tells me we're all saved the same way. (laughs) Oh, thank God. I don't want to ever be proud and arrogant, but I thank God for the truth the Lord shows us in his word by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
All this rigmarole about the Old Testament. Don't mess with the Old Testament. Don't read the New Old Testament. All of all you need to know is in the New Testament. Well, just, just wipe your shoes off when you hear that. Because those Old Testament saints had to be saved just like we did. You say, oh, Brother Gene, now wait a minute, they were saved by sacrifice. Oh, no, the sacrifice pointed to one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. He's not just the way for the New Testament church. When he got to paradise, the Bible tells us he preached something. Well, what does he preach? He preaches the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's Jesus. Jesus. I'm he, I'm the one. And you know what they had to do? They had to say, we believe it. (laughs) My Lord. And the Bible says, he led captivity captive. Look at Matthew 27, 52. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves when? After his resurrection. He said, boys, where I'm going, you're going with me. Man, that was much better in the office too. I got thrilled about that. Jesus stayed in paradise three days. And he said, boys, this is not our final place. No, I go to prepare a place that where I am, there you may be also. And just so you know, this is not my final destination. I'm not staying here. You're going with me. And the Bible says he let him out. He opened the gate. Oh, somebody ought to praise the Lord. Yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. Well, where were they going? The Bible tells us today to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not sure where that is, but it's not in paradise. It's in heaven. Everybody okay? Okay. Oh, you need to. On the Passover, you know Jesus was crucified at the Passover, right? The feast of Passover. He was crucified at the Passover. In fact, that's why they had to get him off the cross and get him buried before sundown on the day of Passover. You do realize what goes on at Passover. Yeah, it's an educated church. All of you know that. At nine o'clock in the morning, the priest would bring that, that lamb that had been separated four days. Listen, you talk about the incarceration of Jesus, him being incarcerated for four days, he fulfilled every bit of it. I want to tell you, this book is amazing. Young people, now I'm going to date myself. This is better than the Twilight Zone right here. Come on, what's some of the good stuff you like to read right now? The Bible, right. Here's all the Bible quizzers back here. Thank God for them because this book is unbelievable. Well, it's not unbelievable. Take that in a good, as a good term. It's believable, yet it's amazing because he too was separated four days. And on the day of the Passover at 9 a.m., everybody say 9 a.m., at 9 a.m., they cut the throat of that lamb. At 9 a.m., they were nailing Jesus to the cross. Oh, And at 3 p.m., they took him off the cross. Now, do you know what happens at the beginning of the Passover? When they kill the lamb, that begins a feast that's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that evening, after the lamb had been killed, the father would take a loaf of unleavened bread, which represents the harvest that is coming. And the harvest wasn't there yet, but it was by faith. 
they would take that roll of unleavened bread and dad would say, look here, the Lord's promised to provide for us. He's promised to make a way for us. And the feast of unleavened bread on the night of Passover, listen, they would take that bread and hide it somewhere in their house and they would go around looking for it. Dad would hide it and they would look for it. And three days later, dad would go pull that bread out and say, here's the loaf. And everybody would rejoice because it's the feast of first fruit now tell me what they did to Jesus yeah they killed him and at three o'clock in that evening he died and what did they do they stuck that loaf in the ground they hid him away for three days and three nights but friend on that third day dad reached in that tomb and said oh I gotta show you boys something oh the blood is just as real today oh yes it is this book is amazing. Come on, you need it. Church is more than just an attendance issue. It is a salvation issue. I've got to be at church today because I need the blood. Oh, come on, praise him right now. Come on, praise him right now. First fruits. Somebody shout first fruits. That's not a shout. Somebody shout first fruits. First fruits. When Jesus came out of that bread, he was the original loaf. It's the feast of first fruits. What does first fruit mean? It means I'm giving God the first of something that's going to come after. Remember I told you all those saints of the Old Testament come marching out of the grave, headed to wherever Jesus was going after the resurrection? Guess what? Guess what the Lord did when he got to heaven? Because he did go. You know that. I'm going to read it in just a minute. Guess what he did when he got to heaven? He brought the first fruits with him. The Old Testament saints are the first fruits. You know what we are? We're the remainder of the loaf. He went into heaven with the first fruits of resurrection and that was the Old Testament church. And here we sit. But don't you doubt the Lord's coming back. He's gonna get the rest of his children. Oh yes, he is. If he came out one time, he's coming back again. If he ascended one time, he ascends again. Come on, somebody praise him right now. Man, oh, hallelujah, come on, give him praise right now. Come on, somebody thank him that the blood is present. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Yes. Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. You know why? Because he was the Lamb of God on the cross. But as his, at his resurrection, he got up as our great high priest. No, that, that didn't go over either. On the cross, he was the Lamb. But at his resurrection, he became our great high priest. Yeah, salvation's plan ended at the cross, but it was not presented until the resurrection. He, oh yeah, he arose from the grave. And the Bible tells us very early in the morning there was a little lady in there crying and weeping. And Jesus says, why are you weeping? And she says, I do not know where they have taken my Lord and my master. And the Lord calls her name and she recognizes that it's Jesus. And she rushes to grab him and he says, don't touch me. He tells her why? Because I have not ascended to my father. You know what he's doing? He's taking that first fruit loaf with him. He's taking that blood with him. You keep reading in that verse, that's early in the morning. By that evening, by that evening the disciples are closed up in a room and something happens. That morning he said, don't touch me. That evening they're in a room with a closed door. Jesus don't even mind knocking on the door. He busts in the business meeting. 
walks right through the wall. You see, Thomas had been saying, Zariah, Thomas had been saying, I won't believe it unless I can put my hands in his side. I won't believe it unless it's real. Listen, folks, church is more than just a function. It's gotta be real. Come on, a drug addict is not gonna be changed because we just are God's little happy people. No, this has to be real. They need to see the tears flow. They need to see the joy in your feet. It's real. Thomas is over there at the business meetings and they're talking about he's up. He's not in the grave. We don't know where he's at. Where could he be? And Thomas said, well, I don't know about the rest of you cats, but I don't believe nothing you're saying unless I can put my hand in his side. I watched him die. Jesus knows how to bust up the little argument. He walks right through the door and he says, Thomas, do you believe what you see? Put your fingers in the nail prints. Put your hand. Listen, the Bible talks about three heavens. Everybody say three heavens. My Lord, it's almost noon. Three heavens. First heaven, that's our atmosphere. Second heaven, it's a space we're surrounded by. Third heaven, everybody say third heaven. Do you realize to get to the, to the, to the first part, the initial part of the third heaven, the outer regions of space, to get to that place traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Now that burn your hair off. Yeah. Talk about a manny petty. Talk about a wax job. Come on now. It'd take you three years traveling at 186,000 miles per second to get to the edge of the third heaven. And Jesus left that morning and by that evening he showed back up. Well, Gene, how can a saint of God die in her bedroom and in one second close her eyes in this world and open her eyes the next second in a brand new world? Only by the blood. Only the blood does that. Only Jesus does that. We're going to a place where there be no more pain or sorrow, no crying or weeping, nor evening nor night. I'm going to that city where the lamb is the light. Oh, come on, somebody praise the Lord. Oh, come on, somebody praise the Lord. Jesus, Jesus headed somewhere. Somebody say praise the Lord. I realize now what's been going on with my notes. They're printed on double-sided and I haven't been flipping them. That's a pretty good sermon anyway. I knew there was a bunch of good stuff in here. I couldn't figure out why I was already at the closing. Go back and do the flip side. Okay, this is a, hey, we'll call this the even page, odd page sermon. You got all the even pages, now we're fixing to get the odd pages. Now clap your hands to the Lord. Let's, let's, uh, Lord, God help me. Yeah, the blood makes a difference today. I know the blood is working, at, oh yeah, don't get me off my point. The blood's working today, Betty. I ain't heard you say amen. I ain't heard you do nothing. Now I hear you snickering. I'm teasing. Paradise is empty. Somebody say praise the Lord. Jesus was headed somewhere and the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11, I bet the 
the scripture people are freaking out because I know who the scripture people are. Dear Lord. Hebrews 9 and 11. Come on to the music. You'll get the odd pages some other time. Hebrews 9 and 11. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once, once, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Anybody glad for that? Everybody say once, once and for all. Salvation ended at the cross and he became our great high priest. He ever lives to make intercession for me. In closing today, Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt. And as you well know, estimated two to three million people can go through a herd of cattle pretty quick. Doesn't take too many barbecues to be left with nothing. That's about how long your stash is going to last too without the Lord. You're going to need some manna if you're going to make it. And they ran out of all their food and they ran out of all their water. Don't take long for two to three million to go through all the water. And they were complaining and upset. They said to Moses... We're thirsty. (laughs) Sounds like a sinner, doesn't it? I'm thirsty. We're going to die. Sounds like a sinner, doesn't it? (laughs) We're hopeless. We're about to perish. Yeah, that's the state every one of us was in. (laughs) But oh, thank God that wasn't the final epitaph. No, God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, take your rod and strike that rock. And Moses, by faith, smote the rock. Now think about it. I don't know which rock it was. I don't know if there was a rock sitting there that had a sign on it that said, hit me. But by faith, Moses had been given a word from God. Strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And out came pure and precious water. That is exactly what happened to you and I. We came to the rock thirsty. We came to the rock ready to die. We came to the rock hopeless. And we got a drink from the fountain of the waters of life. My relationship with God began right there in salvation with that smitten rock. But listen, years later, Moses and the children of Israel are in the desert again. They are thirsty again. And notice what happens. God doesn't tell Moses to smite the rock again. No, the rock has already been smitten. Man, that went over real good. What does that mean, Pastor? I'll tell you what it means. It means that Jesus doesn't have to be crucified every day for you to be forgiven. The rock has been smitten once. Everybody say once. Let me tell you something. I don't know who they were that crucified him, but they better have done a good job because they're not ever going to get to do that again. He was crucified once. And if that one crucifixion made that blood effective 2,000 years later, no, there remaineth no more sacrifice. There's no more need for him to go to the cross again. The blood he shed 2,000 years ago is just as real right now. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, speak 
speak to that rock. Now I know Moses got upset, didn't obey, smote the rock again, and he lost the promised land. You recognize all that. But God's plan was smite it one time. And the next time you're thirsty, speak to that rock. In other words, that rock was smitten for my relationship with God. I draw near to him by the blood of Jesus. I come boldly into his presence by the blood of Jesus. Because he was smitten, I stand righteous. Oh. But that also tells me that not only does God want me in relationship with him because the rock was smitten, he also knows our desires for me to be in fellowship with him. You see, the rock was already smitten and that's my relationship. But there's no more Calvary. There's no more shedding of blood every day. No, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. It doesn't matter what condition you're in today. If you're not saved, you do not have a relationship with the Lord. That rock has been smitten. The blood is still flowing. But if you are saved and you're a child of God and you need fresh cleansing today, you don't smite that rock again. No, you speak to it. Speak to it. That's why it's important for you to use your voice. Lord, I need you today. Lord, I need cleansing today. Lord, I need your blood today. Come on, let's stand together. Let's reach out unto the Lord right now. Come on, somebody needs to fall on that rock this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Doesn't matter what condition you're in, the blood is able. Come on, somebody thank him for the blood. Come on, somebody tell him how much you appreciate his blood. Come on, right now, he's worthy. Come on, reach over and pray for somebody beside you right now. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I'm thankful that the blood is just as powerful today. Innocent blood, what is that to us? Oh, it's precious. It's real. It works today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Shayla, if you could help me get Hebrews 8 and 5. Hebrews 8 and 5. I want you to look at this, folks who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. He's talking about the tabernacle. For see, saith he, he tells Moses, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. The tabernacle was a shadow Did you hear that? The tabernacle was a shadow. Come here, Connor. There's so many lights around here, it's hard to see it. But Connor's got a shadow. It's about right there, right now. I'm stepping on his shadow. Does that hurt? No. Because <laughs> that's his shadow. That's the tabernacle. It was just a shadow. This is the real person. Right here. The tabernacle was just a shadow of the real. Now stay with me. You can go sit down. Thank you for your great demonstration. It was a skinny shadow. Should have got a fat fellow up here. Let's talk about that tabernacle. Let, let's lay it out here real quick. 
You enter his gates on Thanksgiving. You walk to the altar, it's right there in front of you. You go right past that, there's a brazen labor. Then there's a curtain with five pillars. You go, the priest changes his garments. Right here, changes his garments. He puts on a garment of praise. He walks into this room and on the left side there's candlesticks. Right in front of him is an altar of incense. On the right side is a table of showbread. And right past that altar of incense, there's a veil. And then he goes right past that, there's an ark of the covenant. Do you see it? It's a cross. It's a cross. Wait, Hebrews 8 says it's a shadow. That means that before the foundation of the world, there was a cross already there. It means when Jesus was on the cross, I was on his mind. It means when God said, let there be light, there was a cross in heaven oh what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that before we were ever created there was a cross there was a cross for me Man, I'm overwhelmed. I, I wish I wouldn't have missed the good pages of this sermon. <laughs> Evidently, I hit all the bad pages. But I'm thankful for the cross. The tabernacle was a shadow of what was in heaven. That tells me that a cross was always on God's mind. <laughs> Oh, let's love the Lord right now. I know Sherry's going, Sherry, I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you, but you're just going, I know you can't, you can do it. I know it's an old one, but I can do it. And so I'll cherish the old.